Hey there, welcome to another episode of Teams at Work. My name is Daria Gutnick, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Bunch. I'm co-hosting the show with Anthony Rio, who is also my co-founder and our COO. We are on a mission to help anyone become a great leader. And together with our team, we're building an AI leadership coach to achieve exactly that. This podcast is for a new generation of leaders. Every episode, we talk to an inspiring guest who is running a high-performance team or a company to learn about their journey and what they do in their day-to-day to be an effective leader. So no matter if you're leading a team already or simply interested in becoming more effective at work, you can build your leadership skills by investing as little as two minutes a day with our AI leadership coach. If you're curious, download it for free on the Apple App Store today by simply searching Bunch Leadership Coach. Your journey starts with a quick assessment of what kind of leader you are today, and then you will receive personalized daily leadership tips to help you grow faster into the leader you want to become tomorrow. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Teams at Work. Today is a um, ridiculous pleasure. I've been trying to get Alvar on the podcast for a very long time, ever since we met probably... I'd say over a year ago. Yeah, it's been over a year ago. Yeah, probably. Yeah, definitely. Perfect persona. Can't wait to dig in. But without further ado, let me uh, pass the mic over to Alvar Lumberg. How you doing? Hey, hey, thanks, Anthony. I'm good. I'm good. Let's kick off with your version of your story. Tell us about everything you want to tell us about, but primarily also like, why did you become an engineer? Why did you become an engineering leader? And where are you at today? What are you doing? Sure, absolutely, absolutely. So I'll start from today and then rewind real quick and then let's sort of get back to today, right? So today I'm the CTO and co-founder of a company called Grinfin. We make sustainable investing super easy and accessible for anyone. So uh, today we're mostly a retail product, but increasingly moving into uh, employer investment plans and benefit plans um, as well. So the product line's expanding. And uh, we've been live with this for about a year and a half now. Been building it for maybe two and a half years. But before that, I spent seven or eight years at Wise, previously TransWise, was one of the engineering directors there, built up a bunch of product teams, built up the platform team from two to about 40 people. So saw the nuts and bolts of moving money around the world uh, at at an increasing scale. So that was uh, quite exciting. And even before that, then a couple of years in in contracting, uh, basically building software for others. And another seven, eight years before that, I was working at a pretty large regional bank here in the Baltics and Nordics called Swedbank. So it's a Swedish bank by now, but sort of started off in an an Estonian branch um, for that. And that's also where, you know, sort of like rewinding back to your questions and me becoming an engineer and starting like an actual professional path, I guess. I think that was pretty much my first serious programming job. So I joined the bank to become a uh, a bank programmer. Didn't have a clue. So I guess it was a lucky time of a friend simply knowing me and needing somebody and inviting me to join a company that matured tremendously over the next few years. So yeah, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have hired myself a few years in. So uh, I was very, very glad to to get on the train when I did. But yeah, so there's that. So a bit of programming and then increasingly a bit of leadership in the mix. Awesome. And definitely a, and I'm, I'm only just realizing this now, admittedly, as the audience maybe is realizing it, definitely a fintech thread. Was that intentional from the very beginning? Swedbank, then TransferWise, now Groomton? 
That's a very good question. So it's it's never been intentional, intentional, but obviously, you know, the choices you make in life and then the experience you you kind of gather through these choices clearly kind of like steers you towards towards staying on the path, I guess. You know, that's where you can add the most value. So I think there's something in there. But I've never had the thought in my head that, you know, I really want to work money because, you know, whatever, that's where the wealth is or something. It's just happened to me. And I, I guess I haven't minded too much. Yeah, sure. That's very cool. I, I'm just realizing that. And so everybody knows previously TransferWise. TransferWise played a huge role in my life personally, actually. When I became an expat many years ago, TransferWise was all I had basically to like, it was the best solution I had to get the job done. How did you get in touch with the TransferWise team? And I know you started at TransferWise as an engineering lead. Was that your first engineering management role at TransferWise? Yeah, not uh, not quite. It actually wasn't. So I was in a bit of like a project lead, account manager role in that uh, contracting period as well. But actually had, uh, yeah, gotten my first chips as, uh, as a team lead uh, back in the bank a few years earlier. So yeah, in that sense, I guess there's like two choices to be discussed. So one is how did I reckon that rather than uh, rather than uh, enjoying the preciseness and the deterministic nature of being an engineer and then uh, <laughs> turning more into the much softer, fluffier and sometimes more annoying world of working with people. And then the other is kind of like, how did I end up in a startup, which basically was my first startup experience. And, and that actually was a very conscious choice. So I think, you know, like, in the theme or character of this podcast, let's start with the former. So, so for me, uh, leadership was something that that really just came to me. I had quite a few colleagues back in the bank. I remember even doing like quite a few engineer interviews where we spoke to a number of candidates across the three Baltic countries, all of whom said their ambition is to become a project manager. So they applied for an engineer job, but the ambition was to become a project manager. And I think that rather was like a function of sort of like the time and culture of uh, of that era, rather than, you know, their actual ambition or their dreams. But it was still quite interesting to see, you know, that's what people aspire towards as engineers. And for me, it was just, I love to code. I was decent at it. And through that, I guess I, I earned a few chops to then, you know, become somebody that other people, you know, turned, uh, turned to... Uh, for advice. And then I guess over time, at some point, what happened was that, you know, we needed a lead for a team that started to emerge around one of the projects. And then there it was. So someone, I guess it was my boss at the time or my lead at the time figured, hey, you know, why didn't you take the role? And I was like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, sounds exciting. So then it was just jumping into the water and basically figuring out or finding a new way to add value. And I think I had also realized by that time that I just wasn't as passionate about coding or becoming this like super awesome software craftsman as many people around me were. So I reckon maybe that's fine. So I used to blame myself for it a little bit. And I think this is definitely something I've, I've seen in some of my own uh, teammates in the later years as well, that people think, you know, it sort of like turning into this people management track is kind of like letting themselves down or letting down their engineer aspirations. So I definitely felt a bit of that as I took on a teammate responsibility. But it was a pretty soft one as well. So like I obviously was sort of two thirds still an individual contributor and like one third uh, team lead. And that was pre-transferized. That was at Sweet Bank. Oh, yes. That was the bank years. That was maybe, oh, that was maybe like probably, oh, wow, like 17, 18 years ago. That's ages. 
And obviously, I assume Big Bank then transitioned to, at what stage did you join TransferWise? How big was the team there? And how was that context shift? So I, yeah, that was seven, eight years in the bank. Then we, a bunch of guys founded a software development agency, basically, and invited me along. Uh, very grateful for that. And then three years, we just yeah spent building telcos and energy companies, et cetera, et cetera. Well, building software for them. And uh, I sort of in parallel, I had gotten involved in founding a master's program for entrepreneurship, essentially. It's a bit hard to say very briefly or capture very briefly, but that's sort of what it was. And I think that was when I kind of started to paint a picture for myself about what this entrepreneurship beast actually is like, or specifically, you know, like startups, founders, iterative development, lean startup, you know, all the fancy fancy phrases from 10 years back. And I suddenly realized I would really rather be motivated by building a product, like, you know, actually directly work for a product company, have some skin in the game, you know, stock options and all the other sweet stuff <laughs> startups sometimes can can offer. So yeah, so in that sense, that was a conscious decision of going in there. And that's probably another tangent, but really was looking forward to taking my taking my whole software engineering and engineering management experience and uh, going in with a bang and showing everyone how it's done. But well, that ended up in a very um, educational journey for myself as a professional. But that's maybe another story. And that was, uh, you're referring, I guess, to the time. Then you joined TransferWise. TransferWise, I guess, grew a ton while you were there over those years. And in those years, you went from engineering, I guess, manager or lead up to director. What are the key moments and learnings on that journey? So when I joined, I was around employee number 30 or something globally. So between Tallinn and London, uh, TransferWise back then. And I think we maybe had seven or eight engineers. Most of them were in a small town in Ukraine. So it was like a moderately small engineering team at first. And I I did go in, you know, basically I applied for like a leadership position, but at a, at a young startup, you know, like everyone's an IC or nobody can afford to be sort of like a full-time manager. And unfortunately, that never was my ambition or or idea. So everyone basically does their part. And there was like a lot of hands-on work in the beginning. And as the company and organization grew, you know, every organization, no matter how autonomous, you sort of need somebody to look after the people. And I think that was a mix of kind of like owning a domain from the technical perspective and then also supporting the engineers in that domain or working on that domain that define these like first lead roles or, well, sort of positions, but but I prefer calling them roles at, at TransWise. And I think that was maybe like the first transition, right? So you're actually actually suddenly responsible for someone's day-to-day, someone's performance in the end, but also, you know, someone's motivation maybe, et cetera, et cetera. So you're, you're the face of the company for some people. So that was the first transition, maybe half a year after I joined. But moving on from there, you know, then the company grows further and, and different organizations as they grow, maybe adopt different strategies around how they handle that. So clearly... You may opt for recruiting a lot of uh, senior people from the outside, or then you may opt for raising as many from within as you can. Or like in the end, usually it's a mix and then sort of like through practicalities, you sort of skew either way. But the way TransferWise tried to do it mostly was just because tech recruitment is obviously ridiculously hard, especially if you get to like senior roles. And then especially if you get to a point where you start looking at leaders with 
solid startup experience, the right mindset, autonomy, initiative, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why we oftentimes simply you know, opted for first looking for the candidate from within. And I think that's also the way how I oftentimes ended up doing things I had never done before and, and definitely suffered uh, loads of imposter syndrome uh, on, on my way. So that was kind of that. But I think the, from there on, there were like two important transitions. One is, first of all, you know, when, when you move on from a lead role to sort of a lead of leads role, Basically, when you need to start mentoring and coaching other people in their first sort of leadership efforts. And then the other one, which maybe wasn't like a similar transition, but rather more like a principal one, but I would maybe even say a more challenging one for me was, uh, I think it was when I started building up the platform team and I suddenly found myself working with a bunch of super smart people who I possibly couldn't ever have given advice to. At least, you know, like professional advice to in terms of how they should conduct their work or how they should handle their responsibilities. And when I suddenly realized that, you know, it was both sort of an intimidating, but also like a liberating realization just because, you know, hey, I'm here and this is this is what it's inevitably like. So I just needed to cope with that. But it was really like an interesting transition. So I, I think it's worth pointing out great learning opportunity in terms of leadership, I think. Yeah, let's talk about that last one, because I think that's a, um, there's probably a lot of people out there that are in similar positions. And I think you described it quite well. It's sort of liberating, but also intimidating. How did you cope? Like, if you can go back in time, like, what did you tell yourself? How did you approach those people? What would you tell someone who basically is entering a role or a position or a situation like that right now? What would be your advice? I think what helped me and and I think, well, would help anyone in a similar situation was that my leadership style is of the coaching kind rather than like directive. So I'm maybe more of like a coaching leader rather than a manager or sort of like a director with a lowercase d. And that definitely helps a lot when working in a situation like that. And, you know, I'm talking about maybe like my personality or something that's like innate to me, but also it's a style that one can simply like learn and adopt, right? So the reason why it helps is that you work with a bunch of smart people. They necessarily wouldn't like you telling them how to do their job anyway. And probably they do have all the answers within. So it only means like your job as a leader is simply to make sure that your goals are aligned, that your incentives are aligned that the sort of area of responsibility or kind of like the ownership domain is defined well enough that people sort of understand what the responsibility is. And then you can simply support them in their way of then managing the day-to-day challenges that they encounter. It's clearly like quite a fluffy thing to say, but I also do think like it's kind of essential that uh, it's in a, it was an essential way of coping for myself as well. So I understood like this is how I can add value. And then I sort of, you know, then took as an excuse that these people are smarter than I anyway. So (laughs) I shouldn't pain myself too much. And what do you think was the, why would something like that, why would like leaning back into, and maybe that's not the right phrasing, but leaning into like sort of almost the, the structural aspect of the team in the organization, why does that help someone, a super smart IC in a team like that? Like, what did they find valuable in you being able to sort of manage and clarify that layer? while they manage their work? Like, what's the value for them? Mm -hmm. I think there's a few components in there. I think there's strategy. So 
I can sort of share this from my personal experience, but also some like my personal kind of experience today that like as a CTO, but as a CTO of like a really tiny company, my team's like four people, including myself right now, is that when you're hands-on, your sort of field of view or, or sort of like your horizon is quite narrow. And it has to be because you do need to focus on quite a bit of detail. And it takes time to really sort of come out of that detail and, and look at the bigger picture. And it's a skill you sort of can employ, but it, it just takes an effort. And sometimes it's easier if somebody, whether that's your lead or someone else from the organization, helps you with that strategic context. And I think that's like one thing that I, as a lead, was able to, but definitely expected myself to provide. And then the other is, uh, it maybe stems a little bit from that bigger picture, but it's also like... Uh, conflict resolution or sort of like helping to find alignment because you know in a large-ish organization different teams you're supposed to have different priorities because everyone's sort of like out for their own you maybe have some bigger objectives or goals as a company but you know still your kpis are different and sometimes in order for them to be good kpis they sometimes sort of need to counterbalance one another which already means you know there needs to be discourse around how to do things And I think that's yet another thing where helping to see this broader picture, specifically in the sort of like alignment or conflict resolution can help. And then the third, I think, is maybe sort of pure coaching in its like plain, simple form. Because, well, some people are great at self-management, some not so great. And actually, most people are not so great. And even the people who are great actually do need a sounding board to sort of, you know, it's just like time set aside for finding your way. And I think that's also something, maybe it's sort of like the third thing that I uh, I hope to have provided back in the days. Nice, beautiful. Those are three really, um, really actionable, I think, things for people to remember in those, in those roles, because those situations can be challenging, really challenging. And I think you mentioned imposter syndrome, but I think that's like your classic, what do I do in this situation? Everyone else is smarter, but that doesn't mean it's a wrong Constellation, but you already stole my next question out of my mouth. I was going to ask you what your style is. This is also a very personal question. I was very curious. Now, you said you're more of a coaching leader. What have you learned over the years about yourself, the type of leader that comes naturally to you, what situations that works in, maybe it doesn't work so well in, and how you've had to adapt? Like, what are just some of the, yeah, what are some of the things you've learned about being sort of a coaching esque, coaching esque leader? In a high growth startup, you know, chaotic context. <laughs> I think that was like midway through my transferwise years. Uh, transferwise, uh, at least back in the day, for all all their leads, did the uh, Clifton Strengths Finder uh, test, basically, or whatever you call that assessment. And my top strength is input. And then you sit there with a bunch of really smart people, like some of whom are. are can't recall the actual names of the strengths, but anyway, like some of whom are definitely sort of action-oriented and goal-oriented, and some are like super directive and sort of like really clearly like really good wartime managers. Some have the learning skill, which is about, you know, like uh, building up this like structured knowledge. And then I'm there and reading my top five, I think the top three were like input, strategic, and maybe collaboration or something. Anyway, collaboration, I think was in the top five as well. And then I just read the definition for input. And it's just like, what the hell is this? Like, what am I supposed to do with this even? And I actually honestly felt bad. Like I didn't dismiss the test or the results, but I was like literally, literally taken aback uh, by what I sort of found out about myself. And I think I, I learned to cope with it. And I think I not, not just learned to cope with it. And that's sort of a passive thing to say. 
I have come to understand that or like um, interpret that as a way of like supporting autonomous people in their decisions. And then we also mentioned this like strategy or broader look and basically, you know, putting in nuance or helping to consider other angles. So maybe a bit later than I became familiar with the notion of like a coaching management style. And I very much like recognized myself in that. So speaking of style, I'm actually pretty crap at the sort of like day-to-day operational level uh, team leadership. Just because my attention to detail just isn't there enough. Like I, I love to trust people and sort of believe that they're doing their thing. But oftentimes, you know, when you're working with ICs, especially maybe, you know, more junior people, et cetera, that's sort of just like not how it works. And I mean, I, I obviously do that because that's my job and, and that's fine. But when I just kind of like come back to the, the situation where I've enjoyed myself the most, definitely it's been about the coaching highly motivated and smart people uh, who sort of simply need a nudge or simply need kind of like a a bit of support or confidence. Cool. Really, really cool. I actually believe I have input as well on my Clifton Strengths Finders. So we have that in common. I I remember also reading that going. (laughs) Strengths Brothers. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I had a similar reaction to it, but your story makes sense to me a lot too. The way you described it at the beginning as someone in a context that somehow ended up taking care of the team at a very high level, but like, obviously that breaks down into specific behaviors. I think in a lot of ways, particularly coaching-esque leaders or coaching coaching style leaders, it really is a lot about just listening, taking input and somehow being able to make quick sense of that and give people meaning. And I think, you know, I'm not, you know, fully, I have many years to go, I think, but I'm also trying to place that in the overall management arsenal, if you will, or the, the sort of like, as you look at a role and you look at the qualities required for the role, I think that's a, it's a raw skill and it doesn't come naturally to a lot of people, but it does to some. And I, that's how I at least interpreted it back then. The ability to sort of, yeah, it, take input, I guess, to a degree. But um, okay. So moving away from your story to now where you are now, you've seen a lot of You've been able to coach, I guess, a lot of engineering managers and a lot of people on the various teams you've been on. What do you think today is the biggest challenge engineering managers or leaders face? Now, that's a very strong statement. It doesn't be the biggest, biggest, but like, what should be top of mind today? Like, what, what do you see out there? I have to admit, I may not today be kind of like at the forefront of battling, uh, battling this challenge, but I definitely see the generation of today's graduates and let's say junior engineers coming into the market, expecting a very purpose and mission-driven environment. I don't think that's specific to engineers, but just, you know, if if we talk about engineers, I definitely think this applies here too. And I think any manager or leader in their organization at the same time sort of, you know, is the face or representative of the team, but also the representative of the organization. So I think this ability to convey this mission and to convey the like domain or, or any even like day-to-day task that the team's working on, sort of like to relate this back into this purpose and then mission is an important skill. And organizations can support you, of course, you know, this depends a lot on like how you talk about your projects and initiatives and what sort of KPIs uh, you put there, put on them or what sort of goals you define and how you word them, et cetera, et cetera. But still, you know, in the end, we need to be able to explain and, uh, and and interpret as leaders. So this is a very, very broad one. But also, I I think uh, today, more than ever, 
as a leader in technology overall, but also in software technology in particular, I think just staying on top of your game, not in terms of, you know, being a super sophisticated, bringing a random example, like you don't need to be a super sophisticated uh, and certified uh, cloud engineer, or you don't need to be, you don't need to have like a machine learning experience of three years in real life projects, but you do need to understand what the emerging technologies are for and how they might uh, apply to your domain. Because I think this is what helps you to uh, just kind of like look ahead and pick the right battles. And I think I had a third one in my head, but might come back to me (laughs) in a few seconds. If it does, definitely interrupt and bring it up. Do you recommend anything to like, you know, and I know you're in a very small, very, you're in a leader IC context with your, with Grunfin and, and being super heads down. So I do understand that. I guess maybe in previous roles or even now, or when you think about building your team in the future, are there resources, are there role models, are there things that have really helped you along the way that are out there that you would recommend to a, you know, an engineering manager who's just been promoted, just like you were back then? Any sort of things that you found really helpful over the years? There's one that comes to mind, and I think this might be part of the Kool-Aid that we love to drink at Transwise, but uh, definitely Simon Sinek's Start With Why, always a good book, and I think a really popular and well-known one as well, so I'm preaching to the choir, I guess. Then uh, the ex-Netflix uh, Netflix uh, HR lady, uh, the book was called uh, Powerful, Building a Culture of Freedom yeah. and Responsibility. So that's also a really well-known book, but it's uh, it's a really good one because I think, you know, that's... So I, I think the reason why I bring up these two is rather that, that I think they have helped me base myself because much of how things work in your particular situation are a function of you and your team and your organization, et cetera. But I think, you know, powerful and start with why uh, have been two books for me, at least that kind of, you know, have a, you know, it's easy to take them with you and sort of like find strength in them. So those are two. Uh, yeah, I don't think that many others come to mind. I've I've tried to chew through uh, some other leadership books, of course, and uh, I think it's rather been sort of like, uh, yeah, sort of uh, cherry picking some blog posts and maybe podcasts and some super inspirational chats with uh, some mentors I've I've had. Speaking of which, I I definitely think a part of like any specific resource, you know, whether it's uh, whether it's a real-life mentor or whether it's a virtual mentor for starters, I, I know an awesome app for that, by the way, <laughs> uh, <laughs> then definitely kind of like getting an external, getting somebody outside of your day-to-day circle to uh, help you hold yourself accountable and, and sort of help you along in your path is definitely super useful. Like basically find a close enough, even if it's just like a close enough inspiring leader that you can occasionally sort of bump into and ask a question from, that's already very, very helpful. Basically having a, having an example. Did you have one? Did you have someone? I did. I did. Yeah. I think I, I don't think I necessarily, to be honest, like I don't think I necessarily had, uh, had like this very clear uh, sort of a leader role model or sort of like a, a team lead role model before Transwise. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of YCEO Christoph Ehrman, uh and I'm a very like, Happy and humbled to say, like he's he's definitely been been a great great model for me. Maybe he he has his peculiarities, but in many ways, I think he's a very inspiring leader. But also, uh, Harsin, uh, CTO of of Wise, both both were really good mentors and and supporters for me through my Wise years. 
but I, I think I, I would love to add that it, uh, it, it also, you know, having, uh, it doesn't need to be a manager to be an inspiration for becoming a better leader. You know, leadership comes in many shapes and forms. And I know in many organizations, you know, you, you sort of don't see the difference, but you don't need to have a title to be a leader. And, and many people are awesome leaders without a title or, or sort of like actually kind of uh, earned authority, despite maybe not having appointed authority. So like the talent pool for role models is wider than your managers. That's why we're on this podcast together. That's amazing. So to that point, because I think, I, you know, I fully agree with you, Alva, but I definitely have been out there in the field telling that to people. And I think there is still a very large sort of understanding that leadership is, you know, leadership is about hierarchy. Leadership is about title. How would you define leadership in that context? So you say leaders don't need to be people with titles or leaders don't necessarily need to be the managers. Begs the question, how do you define leadership? Doesn't have to be a Webster dictionary phrase, but like, what are some of the things you look for? For me, uh, yeah, I, I don't have the Webster dictionary phrase, but uh, uh, just trying to phrase it off the cuff, I, I think one way to put it is leaders are people who define how teams or organizations do things. And that's easily something that uh, that a seasoned IC might do, or or even maybe like uh, whoever could do if uh, if it's a novel problem that needs solving, and and if you provide a solution that stands the test of time, or, or you know even is used by a few people after yourself, then you've already shown uh, leadership. And then then that applies to obviously tech people, processes, or anything really. Nice, I love it. Cool. Two last questions. What is still difficult for you these days? What are you still trying to grow in now that you've got your own team now, your own company now, you're, you're a founder now? What's on the horizon for you? Yeah, no, this is, uh, yeah, putting my heart on the sleeve a little bit, but that's the right way to do it because uh, <laughs> it's sincere. I definitely wish I'd be more diligent in my day-to-day. -day. I'm a bit of a cowboy. I like big ideas and principles and uh, sort of, inspirational thoughts uh, and sometimes also uh, being a bit of a cowboy when I code, which I hate, but also love, which I guess is the reason why I happen, happen to do it sometimes. But yeah, I think diligence is something I need to, I can never learn enough of. Hey, well, I'll meet you halfway. It's something for me too. I'm starting to sense we, we have relatively similar leadership styles, potentially different domains, but um, it's definitely a growth area for me as well. And I appreciate you throwing that out there. If you find any resources, ping them my way, please. But I feel like that's almost, uh, that's a hyper-specific one, right? Like that's... It is, it is. But then it's sort of like an underlying one because that's sort of, I, I think that's a really good point that you made. It is a hyper-specific one. But on the other hand, you know, that's the thing that bugs me the most. And then it takes a disproportionate amount of my energy to cope with. I agree with you. Uh, it's the same for me. It's the same for me. I always, um, we've worked with a couple of engineers over the years too, and and I think we've, uh, you know, there's, there's engineers that are fantastic from the zero to one, new technologies, assembling something brand new. And then there's the folks that, and it doesn't necessarily need the biggest level of diligence to make it work. And then there's the folks that thrive in the, I don't want to say, I don't want to equate it one to one, but like the maintenance and the diligence of keeping the things together. And, and to a degree, I guess, it's just finding the right, the right tool for the right stage. And, but we all have our individual growth areas because it's inevitable that we all sort of it overlaps in a way where we end up where our weaknesses are highlighted or something like that. And I think that's the craziest part about startups because startups at this stage, particularly the stage that you and I are in, it kind of requires it all from you. 
you're like going from detail to the highest level and then you're changing the high level so that the detail it's definitely the hardest thing about it's the hardest thing i have found about the early stage game and i remember maybe it was someone from yc that said it or some very successful founder basically said they look for in the diligence process founders that seemingly can go from the high level to the lowest level and transition seamlessly and i'm like I don't listen. That's hard. Like if there's superheroes out there that can do that props, but that is a hard thing to learn. That's very true. Exactly. And coming back to the point, you know, like how somebody can help people uh, professionally, whatever ahead of them or, or, you know, somebody in a field that's not familiar to you, then that's potentially exactly the way that if you're a leader day to day operating on a different level, that insight actually can be really helpful. And I also think that's exactly why you need as the organization scales those people, as you mentioned, the coaching style leaders to attach the the bigger picture to the detail. And you need that glue in the organization, right? You need the people constantly looking for alignment versus the people that are constantly looking for, uh, not misalignment isn't the right word, but constantly trying to do new things or bring things apart. So it's all good. It's just good and good and bad in, in different contexts, I guess. But the final question for you, Alvar, the most important of them all, if I can claim that. If you go back in time all the way to your first engineering management role when it was all fresh and new and give yourself one or two tips given everything you know now, right? That's what we're trying to do at Bunch with what we've built. We're trying to take the the learnings from people like you who have been around and really help these uh, first-time managers out as much as we possibly can. And I know you and I have talked about that at length. What would be the one or two tips you would go back and give yourself? I think the like first and really simple way to put it is to give yourself a break. And when I say that, what I mean is that for me, it's really been one of the more liberating learnings through this journey so far is that, is that everyone's just a person, right? No matter what their title, no matter what their, uh, what their net worth, they have their demons, they have their strengths. And I think if you put your mind to it and if there is any domain where you as, no matter if you're an IC, a leader, like if you're somebody in a group who has uh, spent more time than anyone else on a problem, there is nobody better than you to advise on that problem, work on that problem, offer help on that problem. And why this has been a useful train of thought for me is exactly that there's always ways how you can contribute, sort of no matter who you're talking to, that like definitely... Maybe back when when I was working at the bank, I had a bit of this like, hey, that's the CEO, I better shut up now. And that's not very helpful in terms of your, maybe your career progression as well, but like also just in terms of your learning path. (laughs) So just figure out what your contribution could be and don't be afraid to (laughs) throw in your two cents. Love it. Awesome. Very, very cool. I will take that advice. I really appreciate that. And I think those are two really, really good tips. Really good tips. Imposter syndrome does touch us all, I think, regardless of context, right? It's a real thing. Awesome. Alvar, this has been amazing. Any final thoughts? No, I don't think so. It's, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. And thanks for the awesome questions, because it's always uh, always fun to reminisce, but especially in a structured manner. And I think uh, like revisiting some past stories is a good way to, uh, you know, also just a good way to structure your thoughts. So it's a great exercise, isn't it? It's like, uh, feels refreshing. And um, it was an absolute pleasure to go through your journey with you. I'm really, really happy. And um, I think the audience can take a lot, a lot from it and really appreciate you sharing as much as you did. Really, really thankful. Thanks a lot for having me. Awesome. Well then until next time. Talk to you soon. 
Thanks for listening to Teams at Work. Let us know what your thoughts are on today's episode. You can find us on Twitter at Daria Gutnick and at Anthony A. Rio. Or simply follow Bunch at Bunch underscore HQ. And don't forget, subscribe if you like the episode, because we always have interesting guests who join us and share valuable knowledge as well as actionable advice. Yeah, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Please do get in touch. At the beginning of the show, we did mention that we're building an AI leadership coach that helps you level up as a leader in just two minutes a day. Check us out on the Apple App Store and simply search Bunch Leadership Coach to find it. Try it out and let us know what you think. And that's a wrap. We are your hosts, Daria Gutnick and Anthony Rio, and we're excited to speak with you all soon. Till next time.